This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Moses said to the people, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, Then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, Blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you're still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving according to human inclinations... For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. From the fifth chapter of Matthew. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. 
and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, Yes or no, no, anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. It seems like an awfully easy choice to make. I put before you a choice. On the one hand is blessing, on the other hand is curse, on the one hand is life, and on the other is death. Who wants life? There you go. I like to think that, you know, if I'm standing on the edge of a cliff and one step this way is death and one step this way is life, I would make the right choice. It seems pretty clear cut. But it seems that part of the problem we run into is that so many of our decisions are not clear cut and we have trouble knowing exactly what will bring life and what will bring curse if I'm in one job now that seems to be sustainable should I quit it and go back to college in order to hope that maybe I'll get a better future or if I am enduring some medical condition and there's a chance that surgery could make it better? Should I go ahead and have that surgery and risk complications? Which one will bring life? Which one won't? Which one will bring blessing? Which one will bring curse? We have all kinds of apps that let us organize and plan our future, but we don't yet have one that will show us all the ways that the future is gonna screw up those plans. Hindsight's 2020. We can see how certain decisions have been a source of blessing or curse. 
But tomorrow, that's another question. And then there's the whole question of whether we are even able to choose blessing over curse, life over death. It's the question that so many people wrestle with in the wake of a suicide. Why did our loved one choose this course of action? Why did they choose to take their own life? It's not a rational decision. And we understand how terrible depression can be. We understand how desperation can change the way we think. We can understand how at that moment a person can't make a rational decision. And all the other ways in which our ability to think becomes compromised. From extreme situations like that to more minor ones where if I'm faced with any decision, any decision at all, it's going, my, my choice is going to be conditioned by what has happened to me in the past, by the family that I grew up in, by my outlook on life, by my genetics, all these things that might figure in to my decision and even my ability to make that decision. I guess it comes down to that question of free will, which theologians have wrestled with for generations. On the one hand, it seems like at any given moment, we have free will. I can choose to step off that cliff. That's, you know, option A, option B. I can go either way. But then again, all the things that come to bear on that decision, are any of us ever truly free in the decisions that we make? Because if we were truly free to choose blessing over curse, life over death, why would we still be wrestling with violence and warfare? Why would we still be wrestling with family conflicts? Why would we still be wrestling with all of those things that go on in our society, in our families, in our countries, in ourselves that bring curse rather than blessing? When you step back from a given moment and look at people as a whole, it seems like we cannot choose life. We are forever shooting ourselves in the foot or in other places in ways that in the large picture just don't seem to make sense and would point to what would almost seem like an addiction. Because it seems like to me that that's what addiction is. It's when we do something even though we know that it will be bad for us. We do things even though we know what the consequences are going to be. It's not that people struggling with addiction are somehow any less intelligent than other people. In fact, studies show that addicts tend to be more intelligent. 
The problem is that they are dealing with forces that they can't control. And so added on to their struggles is the shame and the self-loathing that comes with being unable to stop a destructive behavior, knowing full well what it's doing to them and to their families. And yet here comes that choice again. What will it be? Life or death? Blessing or curse? When I heard that text from Deuteronomy, I had a sense of deja vu. I've heard this choice before. Scripture is literature. The Bible is literature. And like any work of literature, it has been edited. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. During the time of the exile, the priests intentionally edited scripture to remind the people who they were, to remind them of God's promises in ways that would help sustain them through that exile until they came back into the land once more. But more often, that editing happens unconsciously. It is simply what happens when a story is handled by so many people over such a long period of time. So many hands, so many ears, so many lips have repeated that story on that over the course of time that story unconsciously comes to resemble us and to reflect what is important to us. And in any sort of literature, in any sort of story, the most important points of that story are the beginning and the end. The beginning is the point at which the theme is set out that will determine how that story unfolds and the end is how that theme will be resolved. And when we go back to the beginning of this story, when the curtain parts and the light literally comes up, let there be light, we find two people. Two people on the stage, Adam and Eve. And the first thing that happens is they are given a choice. Choose blessing or curse. Choose life or choose death. They are placed in a garden in which there are thousands of trees and there's just one, just one, that they are told to leave alone. It reminds me of when I was young and learning to ride a bicycle. I remember that moment of triumph when I finally figured out how to balance and I felt like the master of the world, but it was immediately followed by pain because there was this this one telephone pole along the sidewalk that I could not seem to get past. Every time I would ride that way, somehow seeing that telephone pole made me start leaning into it, and I, I ran into it over and over again. One tree, just one, and yet Adam and Eve can't 
leave it alone. It's as if they are genetically predisposed to slam into that tree. Maybe it's because they're newly created. They're young. They don't know what the consequences are going to be so they can be forgiven for making the wrong choice. But then we come to Noah. When God, in essence, reboots creation through the flood, here is Noah and his family, the the one group of people that have been preserved, and the minute they come out of the ark, they start making the wrong decisions again. Knowing full well what it's going to lead to. And now, in this reading from Deuteronomy, here's that choice again. Choose wisely. But we who know the story already know they won't choose wisely. They will worship other gods. They will put trust in their own ability to defend themselves. The nation will crumble. They'll go into exile. Everything will fall apart. At some point, you'd think that God might figure out This isn't working. Maybe giving people a choice is not the smartest thing to do. But the other moment that's important in a story is the end. The resolution. These people who time and time again choose curse. We see at the end, we find them gathered around the throne of God singing, praising. But they're not singing about all the wonderful decisions they made. They're singing about the one decision that God made for them. They're singing about the one decision God made for them. Because the resolution of this story comes in that recognition by God that we cannot choose life. As often as we are given that choice, just as often will we fail. And so Christ takes away that option of choosing wrongly. Christ chooses the curse and takes it upon himself so that we can't choose it anymore. (laughs) I think that, that this must be at the root of what the gospel is about that somehow free will can no longer screw us up. That somehow, by taking that curse upon God's own self, it's no longer available to us. Or maybe another way of saying it, by taking that curse upon himself, Christ is now everywhere where we could possibly get to through those bad decisions. 
Christ is already at the lowest point that we could sink to. Christ is already in curse and death so that when we find ourselves there, Christ again makes the choice for life and for blessing. And there's freedom in that. There's hope and joy in that. Because we're not yet at the end of the story. We still live in that in-between. We still struggle with these choices that we have to make day after day. And at some point, all of us understand what it is to feel cornered. What it is to feel like we don't have any more hope. What it feels like to feel our horizon closing in until this is all we can see and our options become this big. But then, God willing, our community reminds us how this story ends. That somehow that horizon opens up again. Somehow, blessing and life are ours in the end after all. That we are not just the sum of all the bad decisions we may have made. That in Christ, we always make the right decision. Because it is us in Christ, and Christ in us. Amen.